Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowRoom.com. This week in the Grow Guides, we're talking all about topping cannabis plants. And topping cannabis plants pretty much is where you remove the top of the plant and it will help you get better yields and a better structure, especially when you're growing indoors. So we're going to run through how to do the topping, what are the best techniques when you're topping and why it is good to top your plants indoors. So check out all of that information coming up in this episode. We also have a few days left of this month. And when this month ends, the entry for the HLG 600R spec competition will close. So you only have a few days left to enter that competition and you'll be able to win an LED grow light, which is worth $900. You can come and win this light if you're a member of Percy's and you have more than 50 posts. And there's still enough time for you to sign up, get 50 posts before the entry deadline closes. So make sure you get over there and sign up if you haven't done that already. It'll be good to have you a part of the community. So come over to Percy's, sign up, check it out. You'll enjoy it there. But in the meantime, here is the episode all about topping. If you have any questions about this or any other of the grow guides that we've done in the past, then just simply head over to Percy's, start a thread, and we'll be able to answer them over there. So anyway, here is the episode. I'll catch you at the end of this. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Hope you learn something, and I'll speak to you at the end. See you in a bit. Enjoy. So this week we're going to talk about topping, and uh, topping is pretty much the process of removing the top of your cannabis plant. That's that's why they call it topping. And that's no, the guy for this week. Everybody, hope you learned a lot. Yeah, we're done. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> no, no, this is one. This is one of the scariest things for a new grower. And most of the people who are, are going to be listening to this thinking, "Topping, cutting the top off your plant? Are you fucking crazy?" But I know it's terrifying. Anybody who has done topping remembers that the first time they did it, they were scared. And you know, for a while after that, they were very cautious when they were doing it. But really, it is very simple to do. The plant barely notices that you've removed the top of it. And it is much beneficial for growth, especially when you're growing plants indoors. So that's what we're going to discuss. I recommend if you're growing indoors, the top of plants, but not necessarily outdoors. And a lot of you listening to the podcast will be indoor growers. So topping is an important part of growing indoors and increasing your yield. So it is highly recommended that you do it. So that's teach you how to top things so I, I top indoors monkey you top right absolutely a multiple top actually all right uh, bubble hawk what are you saying you top not with autos but yes with photos and what are you saying tg uh yes i top both cool and it's same for me I, I top both i treat autos like a cannabis plant just yeah uh, it's the same thing for me i don't really treat them any different than photo period plants well, uh, the reason why most growers would top their plants is because, one, it's easier to train after you've topped it. You can keep it all nice and symmetrical and tie down the branches as they grow. But uh, the second reason is because it focuses the growth on the side shoots rather than it growing upwards so much. It will start growing outwards and become more bushy. And the more you train it, uh, the more you can get it to grow widthways rather than tall which is important when you're growing indoors because you're growing underneath a grow light, which is, especially nowadays, usually like a QB, a quantum board, 
that's flat and projecting light downwards onto the plants at a certain distance. And you want the distance in between the top of the plants and the lights to be somewhere about the same. So they're receiving around the same amount of light and processing the, the light into food properly. So having a level canopy when you're growing indoors is important. And the easiest way to get that started is by topping the plants when they get to a certain height. Uh, Bubba, do you want to go first and explain what you did when you top? Yeah, so I, 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 know, I know this is, you know, I'm going against the norm, but I don't top autos. And the only reason I don't is because I'm a, I'm a big believer in those first four weeks needing zero stress. So I'll just employ LST. I'm not saying you can't because I have and it does, you can do it. That's fine. But for me, I don't. But when it comes to, um, when, it, when it comes to doing the photos, I usually wait until I've got about three, four nodes. And then I'll just take pretty well, just pinch the whole top of that top node um and leaving it so that those lower two can sort of grow out from the inside there and not mm -hmm. if you know what i mean so you're leaving the two side shoots a lot you know so you got the Correct. stem you got yeah. the two side shoots and just taking off the stem but leaving yeah. the side shoots yeah 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 and tg and what's your from, method sorry mate carry on no you're, i was just gonna say and then from there i'll just employ lst and just keep topping as i go until i'm happy with the with the shape and then i'll i'll flip from there right and tg what are you saying yeah, my methodology of topping. It's a good question. It's like if I'm growing from seed, yeah, like I don't know, fifth node, sixth node. It depends on the plant. It depends on the node spacing. I don't want to chop it right the fuck down because you need some, like I don't, I don't have the maybe the speed of growth that you might see in a in a cocoa grow, um, at least in the start mm -hmm. of my grows. Uh, or a salt-based grow, not necessarily in cocoa, but hydro as well, probably hydro more specifically. But um, yeah, so maybe fifth or sixth node. And then I, uh, as soon as the, the ancillary branches start coming out, depending on the cultivar too, you're going to get more branching or less branching, but I try to bend those out. It, it essentially turns into a pseudo mainline, like a lazy person. I'm not like, mm -hmm. I'm not pulling all the other branches and knocking off leaves and shit. I, I just basically bend those four limbs down then in mm. this kind of cross formation, let the, uh, let the internal branches grow up to that. Like you said, keep the canopy even. So those outside branches will bend 90 degrees and start growing up again. And then those internal branches, as soon as those reach the same level as the outside, then, then it's good, you know, and you can mm -hmm. keep topping depending on, again, the genetics, some, you don't want to do it too much because you get thinner and thinner stems as you go and the buds will topple. So I hate using fucking support. So I try to not support them. I have actually some ones tipping over my tent right now because <laughs> they're too big, but yeah. See, see with my technique, I'd top the plant. Like uh, our, our, the third or fourth node, depending on the size of the plant and the, you know, the intervals in between each, uh, what they call the internodes, aren't they? In in between the nodes, so I'll be looking. Spacing, yeah, yeah, I'll be, I'll be looking at that first, but usually on the third or the fourth node, and then I only top the plants once, and I do that for autos and photos, and I'd only do it once because apparently when you top the plant, the hormones release to the plant before before you top it, the, most of the energy is focused on concentrating on that one main cola, which is going to be made at the top of the plant as the plant grows taller. But uh, if you when you top it, then a hormone's released to the plants, and it tells the side shoots that they are now main main 
colas and they all should focus on creating big colas. So it increases your yield that way as well. Apparently, I, don't know, I read it somewhere a long time ago. I don't know how true it is, but that's why that that's why I do the, do things the way I do them. Just because yeah, of that. I understand it too. They're auxins, I think, is the term. Yeah, yeah. Auxins, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, in the um, apical meristem, which is the main, like the main top, I guess you would call it the main, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Once you clip that, it distributes that auxin hormone back down into the plant, into the ancillary limbs, which then, mm-hmm. like you said, become more main like and yeah, they grow right. stronger. And it, it, they so, do that on many other plants as well. It's not just cannabis. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's yeah. A farming. It's technique. the way it's done. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. Pinching it's the is the traditional horticultural term, is what you know the gardeners right. will call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. The, the growth spurt gets moved down to the next tallest uh, shoot. Yeah, right. And so you know, and that's that's the whole the whole genesis of the mainline theory is that you keep doing it until you actually dilute this this growth hormone to everything to where it suddenly just takes off. If you've ever seen any pictures of my Charlotte's Angel that I run, that big one, Dutch Passion actually put a picture on their Instagram before they got banned. Um, They got banned? Yeah. They're working on getting it back, but uh, they have other accounts, so you you can find them still. But anyway, that plant doesn't have any apical dominance anymore. It's a bush. Anywhere a branch can grow out, does grow out in equal strength as every other branch there is like no they've diluted the auxins down to a point to where everything is getting the same growth rate and it's just amazing when that happens it's fucking annoying to deal with i'll say because you get so many like little tiny branches going everywhere so you have to like you know you spend like two hours manicuring these things Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but once they're done yeah they're they're brilliant so what's your your technique for topping monkey um I top everything exactly the same, uh, autos, photos, and, and my method of growth, my preferred method is, is traditional mainlining. And I have a, a, what I call a modified mainlining. I do sometimes if I'm lazy, but uh, always let it grow up to five, five nodes. And just as the fifth is forming, it's cut at the third. And then I remove all the, uh, the side branching from, depends if I want to do a traditional mainline, I take everything but the third node and leave just the third to grow. Uh, if I'm going to do the what I call my modified, then I'm then I'm basically going to going to run four four colas from node two and four from co from node three. So I'll leave those two go, and just split them one more time. But uh, I like to get it topped at least twice. Uh, I like to have eight tops or more on it because when I when I do that, uh, the, the the same fear that every new grower had is the same fear that I had. And that is when you do this, you're going to be losing so much time and it's got to be a better way. But once Mm -hmm. I I actually got down to it and tried it, you feel like you're going backwards when you first start topping. But what I found out is if you just keep at it, all of a sudden, when you get the structure just right, the plant will just literally explode in growth. And it's because you've got all of these, these hormones distributed correctly throughout the plant now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I top the heck out of my plants. And with autos, people, people doubt it sometimes, but I do mainline my autos. But I, if you're ever going to try this, you have to be really fast. Uh, I set my limit at 25 days from seed, and I have to have the mainline uh, pruning done 25 days in. And if I do that, I get great growth out of an auto. But yeah. This, this requires uh, just the right balance of nutrients early on and even a little foliar feeding just to get everything strong enough and growing fast enough. But everything I grow is mainlined, which means I top every time. 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll go into more detail of what mainlining is in an episode coming up in the future. Because mm-hmm. that's uh, it's, it's a little more complex than topping. I mean, if you think topping is going to kill your plant, check out what mainlining is and you'll figure out that topping is going to be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> mainlining, yeah. That, that, that's like topping and topping and topping again. It's like tapping and taking the arms and legs off as well or stopping oh, it, you exactly. know? <laughs> Think about, you know, if you're, have you ever pruned a tree, like a tree that's really taken root that you can't uproot, but you just have to cut it down. You cut it down every fucking year and what does it do the next year? It fucking grows back, right? Mm-hmm. That's topping, essentially, you know, because, I mean, that's severe topping in the sense mm-hmm. where you want to try and kill it, but um, those plants are like so resilient that, you know, you give them a little bit of um little bit of a chance and and they'll come back and with mm-hmm. cannabis obviously you're not taking all of the leaves and stuff off so yeah mm-hmm. you can be real like like real violent i think greenbeard he he chopped like three quarters of a plant that was fucking five <laughs> feet tall off like, i saw that <laughs> it was a tree that he took off you know it was insane and it's now a G13 it's 13 haze and it, 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 yeah, it looked like a damn it, palm tree it looks it's like, like a fucking hilarious yeah. oh yeah that palm tree top. looking thing yeah <laughs> that yeah. thing before he did that was huge and he like took most of it off and now it's you know it's not going to be the yield it would have been but yeah. now it's manageable, right? But so. he wouldn't have got to the end if he would let yeah, that no, go. Really. No way. So I love you, G, but you know what? Sometimes you forget to flip your plants. <laughs> it's, it's not the first time he's grown a fucking No, that's what I'm like saying. <laughs> yeah. But no, topping is, it's violent, but it doesn't kill them. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, if the root and the, the structure of the plant is healthy enough, the topping is, it, it may set it back for just a short time, but it's going to regroup and you'll be amazed how fast it's going to recover and how good it's going to do. Don't mm. be afraid. Give it a try. You know, first time you yeah. do it, top it once and just see what happens. And then after that, you can decide if you want to go further. Yeah, that's a good advice. Because then, yeah, you can, you'll know what happens and you can then be like, you can plan for it. Planning is really important for this too. Mm-hmm. More so in mainlining, but especially for any training, really. But when it comes to topping as well, when I first started doing this, and I'm sure it's the same for many of us who's been really careful with it, where you're using scissors that have been sterilized or mm-hmm. uh, a razor blade. And just quickly for the best kind of description as we can give out, you, you've got the main stem that's growing up from the soil and it grows up and up and up. And when we say the third or fourth node, as the plant grows up, you know, you've got the set of leaves that come off and you'll have two leaves and then you have two small branches growing out of there, then two leaves, two small branches, two leaves, two small branches. Each one of them is called a node. So that's one, two, three. And above the top two little branches and they'll only be little side shoots to start with it. There won't be branches on the third node. Then you just want to cut the main stem above them. You leave them mm-hmm. two things there. So essentially you've got like uh, six leaves with little shoots in between each one. You're only taking away the top of the plant. And that can be on the fourth. If you're doing it on the fourth, then obviously it's eight leaves and two shoots. But it's really easy to do. Just pinch that main stem and break it. And it is best because there are diseases that can spread easily from plant to plant. If you've got quite a few cuttings and you want to top them, then you try and keep the, the scissors or the tool you use in sterile so one plant doesn't pass on disease to another. And when That's you break... Question, question there, Mackie. I use my thumb. I literally mm-hmm. pinch the top out of them. Is Same that, for me. Is that going to spread disease just like the other tools? Well, well, say if you've been outside in the garden doing some digging and you've got some dirt on your nails with some kind of fungus or, yeah. or mold or something that can get onto the top of the plant when you top it and get into the plant tissue. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's easy. It can happen easier 
if you've got dirty hands than if you've got clean hands. So just right. try, try and keep things clean. And it's, I mean, it's not very often, and I've never caught anything from just using my thumbs. And I don't give a shit. I just put literally just stick my thumbnail into it, take off the top and take it away. And you just like After clip them off. One, two, time, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Have we got them all? Yeah, there we go. And then so, I'll leave it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's best. It, prevention is better than cure. So if you can and you want to, then use sterile shit, some isopropyl alcohol to clean some scissors beforehand and then snip off all the tops or whatever you have to do. But it's... Yeah, if you want to be super, super careful, sterilize between each plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And you know... Sorry. Well, I was just like with, with real, uh, um, talking about IPM specifically, like I'm a huge fan of it, obviously. And all your guys' advice is, is really good. You should do all of that. But I also use my fingernails too. Um, <laughs> but it's it's, it's like because I'm a one person grow and I'm fairly cognizant of where I go and like obviously I don't have fucking Superman eyes that I can see microbes and shit, right? So I'm not that cognizant and really I should be more careful. But the fact that it's not like a bunch of people, especially working in places. Um, where you have like employees, like I'm, I'm just thinking in the legal industry, right? They they make you like shower in, shower out. You have to wear mm-hmm. a totally different set of clothes mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff because I don't know. Employees tend to like not care about a business if it's not their business, to put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so and so you know, um, I remember one story of uh, they hired this this person to uh, help them grow at the one of the local facilities here that's now closed and like a week later thrips everywhere in like a you know how many thousand square foot facility yeah that's it, they, massive isn't it? That, that's a so, mission to treat that shit it is important but yeah um in terms of like the pathogens that are passed along like we talked about uh, tobacco mosaic virus and the uh, hops latent viroid and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're going from plant to plant and you're growing like new seeds from a breeder, you know, that like, especially the mass producing breeders, um, I would say that's a good practice. I, I do it myself. And just a little spray of ISO, you know, on your scissors. Mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. easy and quick. That's it. You know, so, just dip it in some ISO, have a cup of it next to you and dip it in and shake it off. Then snip. Yeah. It's as that's easy as that. It's easy as that. Yeah, because yeah, plant to plant transmission is probably what I'm more worried about than like bringing in a thing on my fingernail. Mm-hmm. So you saying bubble hop? Yeah, I was just gonna say I do similar. I just put a bit of ISO in the in a, a glass and just in between plants, I just put the the trimmers back in there and then I'll just wipe them off before I hit the next one. It's like anything else. Yeah, you you perfect. start off that way. That's how I started, but nothing happens, and then you you know you loosen up the. The threshold a little bit and nothing happens, so you let more go until you oh, get the fucking mosaic virus, and and then you go back to sterilizing scissors again, and it just goes in a cycle, man. We get frustrated at work all the time. I bitch about the, you know, how well back at my basement, I don't have to do any of this shit, but my wheat's fine. Yeah, exactly. But it's that's not the point. It's the point is like if something does happen, especially in a commercial situation there's going to be way more repercussions than just like meh yeah i'll still smoke that sort of thing right you can't just do that so Mm -hmm. it's important and i mean depending on what you're doing you know at home if if it's your only crop you should you should be careful especially if it's like 
a prized mother plant that there's no no seeds for or something right you hunted this for fucking ages a thousand plant pheno selection whatever the fuck people do right mm-hmm. um and then you lose it to like some fucking shitty root virus because you didn't clean your scissors that's shitty yeah man for sure take whatever precautions you feel necessary and when you're dealing with thousands of plants like some of these farms do everything's fucking necessary <laughs> you know uh-huh. you, you don't it's better to just be safe than sorry you, you let one spider mite in and in a few weeks the whole place is going to be infested sorry, so I forgot we were careful. talking about coughing actually and i thought we were going into we should do a, a show on ipm and like just cleanliness too that's a good one mm-hmm. but anyway yeah be clean with your scissors on your top point is Mm-hmm. Be clean if, if, if you want to if you want to <laughs> if you want i guess it's up to you but you know if you saw your surgeon like or your dentist like not wash his hands and be like let me see you in there for a minute that's not the same thing bro <laughs> well, depending on if you buy a ten thousand dollar clone maybe oh yeah for sure yeah but if you're that dumb in the first place then no ten thousand dollar clone i can buy a lot of other things for ten thousand dollars yeah, people whatever like spend your money clones. on whatever you want. <laughs> yes. Two five thousand dollar clubs. Yeah, exactly. good point. Good point. I get twice as many that way. That'd be smart. That's another discussion too. But anyway, <laughs> popping. You should do it. It's not scary, and sure. you'll be much happier for it because it's a great way to utilize the space, especially in a tent. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you're growing outdoors, I don't find it necessary. Even though I don't grow outdoors, it's like I wouldn't feel it was necessary because the sun. It just constantly beats down on the plant and when you're in a grow tent you have that inverse square law where the further away the light is from the plant the weaker it gets and it's well, by uh, the same so, laws outdoors but let's think of it this way you know the sun is what how how many million miles away 93 million miles away okay so 93 million miles and four feet is not much difference exactly we should yeah. we should talk about this after actually but shane our friend Shane from Migro just released six days ago. I'm looking at it on my YouTube right now because it's a suggested video. Inverse square law is wrong for grow lighting. It's a good video and I watched it and yeah, it's totally wrong for grow lighting because okay. there's reflective walls and a whole bunch of other factors that totally kind of negate. Um, so you probably doesn't fall by like a square then. I mean, it's not like it, but it does lose power as it gets further away. Yeah, like definitely does. No, it, he, he had about 12% loss over the, what he said should be a 75% loss according to that. No law. way. Wow, that's yeah. a massive difference, isn't it? Yeah, but you should watch the video because he explains it way, way more in detail. And mm-hmm. the, the physics is interesting because it, it is physics. That law is pure theoretical physics, whereas right. in real reality, there's nothing that really fits that, especially a grow tent with uh, shit inside of it. Yeah, I think and, I was listening directional. to... Dr. Coca, yeah. when we were on that show the other day, was talking about measuring in like a reflective tent versus an open air reflection. Yeah. So things it's, like that all pay, play factors in it. Yeah. Quite a lot of the power measurements are kind of, you know, sketchy too, because they're using different um, measurement methodology, but that's another yeah. episode too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So that's topping. <laughs> that's topping. Uh, yeah. And again, if you, just like every one of the grow guides that we've done in the past, you can head over to percysgrowroom.com slash forum. And if you're not a member already, sign up. It's all free, 100% free. And then you can just start a thread, ask a question, and we'll be able to answer it for you. You know, that's us and the audience that's listening as well. A lot of people listen who are members of the forum. So come and join the community. Ask questions if you need help. And top your plants if you are indoors. It's very I have important. A question. You have I'll a question? Yeah, I do. About your grow, actually, specifically. About mine? Yeah, you remember your Jack Hare 
um, screen of green you did? Oh, that long? Yeah, I just go, yeah, yeah. You, you top those plants. Mm-hmm. How many times do you how many times do you top in a screen of green to get them? Just one. Just one. Just and one. then you just branch out those. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I just because they do say that well, they, whoever they is, people say that you know, as it gets to the edge of the screen, you want to top again. But if you flip them at the right time, then you don't necessarily need to do that. You get it to 70% of the screen being full, and then you got plenty of space for the next two weeks throughout the stretch to train everything into the right position it needs to be at. And I've grown jack hair a few times, so I'm kind of used to the way it grows. You know what I mean? So I know it's not going to stretch too much. You're going to be able to control it well into the screen. So Super um, important when you're entering something like that, too, is, yeah, know your, mm-hmm. know your genetics. <laughs> when I, I fucking miss it as well. I, I want to do another scrog like that. And uh, an episode in a couple of weeks talking about screen of green. But I think I want to go back to Coco for a couple of grows so I can do a couple of uh, nice scrogs. I miss scrubbing so much. I ain't done fucking scrub for ages, man. Come back to the dark side, Mackie. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Come to the cocoa. You know you miss it. I do. I miss it terribly, man. I do. You know, look into my plants and they're healthy. They're happy. But Mm -hmm. But if I want to hit the gas pedal, I can do that. Exactly. They they grow so slow compared to uh, plants grown in cocoa. I mean, I'm sitting here and like, these should have been done already. And this has been the case for the last few, few yields now. It's like, I'm, I'm still in cocoa mode thinking that it's going to be done at this point and it just isn't and it's like why ain't you done yet you fucking slow ass piece of shit <laughs> and you know i just know with cocoa that it will be coming to an end by now and it's looking fine and beautiful and fat and lush and i just miss it so much man but i don't even think i have the time to for cocoa grow right now and i don't know why i keep putting it off like you can do a screen of green if you do cocoa i can do that in soil what's stopping me what am I talking about? It would be easier, you know. <laughs> Just take longer. I don't know. I'm yeah. Everybody. I mean, people do it all the time, so there's no excuse. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see what the you quality just... of this crop is like, and if it's like, like the lemon tree was last time, then I'm gonna have to continue in soil because there's a clear difference between hydro and soil at that point. You you keep saying yes, no, yes, no. I, I mean, I don't know if there's a definitive answer to that one right there. Mm, it's a difficult. Is one. one better than the other? It's, yes. So much to it. Still testing. That's it. There's so many small, <laughs> That's, small bits that apply. And it's, we'll uh, be testing for the rest of our lives. But I do yeah. miss growing in cocoa for the ease of it. You know, I just knew what I was doing when I'm growing in cocoa, man. Have the right numbers. Have the right pH. Feed the fucking plants. Get away. The run off. See you tomorrow. And round and round and round. That's all you <laughs> fucking do. You know. Wash, rinse, repeat. Let's go. That's it. Well, it's like four days in between waterings with these plants. Mm-hmm. It's like four days. Are you sure you're not thirsty? I'm poking it with a stick. Like do something, man. <laughs> what the fuck? Poking it with a stick of a harvested plant from previous. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Do something. You want a drink? No, no, I'm cool. You want, <laughs> you want some food or something? No, it's all good, bro. It's all good. <laughs> what the fuck? Just leave. Just leave the heater on when you leave. I'll be fine. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> fuck you know. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's my plans. Did that answer your question there, TG? I can't even remember what your question was. Did I top those? Yeah, just, like I just didn't know how many times a guy tops uh, when they're making a screen of green. And and I've then seen. and the thing is, as well, when you get it to the end, you you, you strip so much at the bottom. Like, you know, when the flowering's done and the stretch mm-hmm. is over, you strip so much off it underneath that anything that's too fucking tall, you just chop off anyway. I feel like an idiot doing that sometimes because it's like I just spent four months growing all of this, and I'm just gonna like chop it. <laughs> but it looks so good. I know it's useful <laughs> at the time it was grown too, so mm-hmm, it's kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know. Yeah, it was gathering food that whole time. 
But we have a couple of questions here from listeners as well. Um, from Jellert. Hi, everyone. Uh, what would determine the date to transplant an auto into its final pots? How many days slash weeks uh, it's been in a smaller pot or when the roots run out of room in the grow in the pot? Well, could you transplant your autos? You can. You can transplant them. And, and yeah, a lot of people do. I don't. Um, again, it's a stress thing for me. It's just mm-hmm. my just the way I do it. It's just my system and it works. But it, there's no reason why you can't. It, as the same with topping. You know, they, they've come so far now, you can you pretty well treat them the same, uh, minus the light flip. So mm-hmm. um, I, w- I would say, though, you know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but normally I'd, I'd probably try and get it done. Um, if you, if you're going to be swapping pots, you know, that, that first two weeks sort of thing, if you know, you, you're going to get enough growth to move it to a final pot from there. After that, I wouldn't be messing too much with it. That's pretty good advice. I, I'm, I'm pretty much in there with you. I do transplant autos almost every time I start them in a solo cup. And when the, when the roots start showing through the little holes I've cut in the bottom and I'll cut a good size, like scissor slice out the bottom so I can let the roots grow out of them. When I start seeing roots, then I'll gently, you know, after a couple of days of seeing that root, gently slide it out the pot just to see what it looks like. And if there's just enough root to hold the root ball together, they go in the, the next pot is their final pot because it's an auto. I do one transplant and you're done. Um, yeah. No problems, no worries there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the same. I start mine in... Uh, half a liter pot so 0.5 liter and uh, for my autos and i only give it like a week when the plant is strong enough and i think it's going to be safe for me to move it over from the soil into its final pot then i'll do it but i just wait until the plant's big enough a couple of nodes tall but I, I don't find any problems with transplanting autos it's all about doing it safely and making sure that the roots don't break if you don't stress the roots out then the plant's not even going to notice really just- now i do I have early on messed around with autos and, and left them in a pot too long and it did trigger early bloom on them. If you stress the roots out yeah, too much. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. one thing like, a, like a photo, it'll just get angry at you. An auto, a, a, you know, an auto is going to go start flowering. Once it starts that doing it, you can't go backwards. But so. Apparently the tap root, when you pop an auto, the tap root will continue to dig all the way down in the pot until it reaches the bottom. And when it detects it's the bottom, then it tells the rest of the plant, you know, this is how much space you've got. Work with this. And then the radial roots will come out. So it spreads out sideways. And just that initial length of the taproot decides how much the plant is, how tall the plant is going to be. Because what grows underneath the ground pretty much grows above it as well. You know, it needs more roots for a bigger plant. So that taproot decides how big that initial plant is, apparently, allegedly. Hmm. But as long as you transplant soon before that does reach the bottom of the pot, I think yeah, everything should just go just fine, man. I encourage I like to people use, to transplant. I like to use rhizo or something like that, like kangaroo roots or some kind of a root stimulator with autos when I transplant them. Hmm. <clears throat> because you're at you're at such a, you know, you don't have a lot of time. And so anything you can do for that rhizosphere to boost it up, I seems to help those autos get a little bit bigger, a little bit faster. Hmm. What about you, TG? Um yeah i do transplant them i guess but um most of the autos i run are like flowering about day 25 to 30 they start so i kind of try and give them you know a week recovery after the transplant to get set in their new pot if i do transplant Mm -hmm. so it doesn't leave me with a lot of time to transplant so 
if I, the only reason I would, I guess, would be if I don't have room for the, the full size, you know, generally it's a two to three gallon size pot for them. Mm -hmm. um, if I don't have space for that to, you know, start them in right away and I need to start them in a tiny container, then I'll start them in a very small container, like, you know, maybe two, 300 mil, like a solo cup, but take two inches off the top kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then as soon as it's kind of healthy enough to be a plant more than a seedling, maybe 10 days, 12 days, then I'll put it in the, the final pot. But I don't generally like to, I don't know. I mean, you might as well just put them in the final pot if you can, because then they're like, they get every, all the roots go where they need to go instead of having that root ball in the middle and then expanding from there, which isn't a big deal because I mean, transplants do just fine. But I don't know. And it's just, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in the plant at that point. So I figured just having the space for that many, because I like, you know, uh, when one crop's coming to an end, I'll take a couple of plants down and then start off some more seeds, eight seeds in a, like a quarter of the grow room, just in the corner yeah. in just in small pots. So I can get them yeah. up and running and, Give them exactly, a week yeah. or two before they need to go into the bigger parts when everything else comes down. I'm, I'm actually right in front of me. I have my autos for my outdoor grow this year soaking in a measuring cup. And those are going to go right into their final containers because might as well, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, because I have the room. But if I didn't have the room yet, they'd start and then I'd transplant them after a bit. But yeah. Wait, I don't know. The less variables better right and transplanting yeah, sure. is a variable so we yeah. have another one from jello here as well also is an ec meter needed when growing in soil and feeding only water or if i have a ppm meter would that be okay if i ever wanted to measure any runoff water in my soil thanks guys well ppm meter if you know which scale it's built on there are two different levels of ppm meters some ppm meters multiply uh times two to, to get the uh, EC and some use a different conversion. One's a 700 conversion, one's a 500 conversion. But if you know the conversion factor, you can use the PPM meter to get an EC reading. Mm -hmm. But, you know, contact your manufacturer, look up your, your specifications and find out what your conversion rate is. And then you can get that reading. Yeah, but if you're uh, just watering the plant, it's only water throughout the whole thing. Then an EC meter is not really necessary the the stuff that's in the soil is probably going to be organic and it's least like less likely to be salt-based nutrients and the electricity that goes through the you know we explained this on the ec and ph episode so the electroconductivity of the water will be less because there's no salts in it for the electricity to bounce around no sodium for it to all bounce around and shit so you don't necessarily need ec meter if you're going to be growing in full organics with no salt-based nutrients Right. Probably a good idea to check your start water, though. Yeah, we, we, and if you need to check the EC of the start water, you can just go to the your supplier's website, probably. I'm not too sure about all over the world, but definitely in the UK. You can go to, say, whichever water company you use. They, they'll be able to tell you what's coming through your pipes and coming out your taps. They'll be able to tell, tell you what the EC and the pH of the water is with, without having to spend 50 quid on an EC meter. But it's just because you don't need it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have one. You know, if you've got if you've got it in your budget to buy one, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So get one mm -hmm. if you can. 
Just they are important tools, man. And you might want to go to Coco and try that sometime. <laughs> or hide or a, a deep water culture or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah, even your plants are suffering and you're going to need to feed them some salt-based nutrients. Like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to have to chuck some PK in these, otherwise they're going to suffer. Then you're going to need to be able to monitor the pH. Well, not need to, but it's definitely preferred that you do. So Yeah, we talked a little bit about Chris Trump, to Chris Trump about the, using salts in organic situations like that. And he did say that it's not going to kill your organics if you have to do it. He didn't recommend it. But if you have to do it, he said it'll reduce the number, but they can rebound. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not like the end of the world if you have to feed salts at the end of your grow. There you go. Uh, Mr. Bud, well, do you want to say something on this, TG? Because you grow with water only, don't you? Would you need no. an EC meter? No, I don't have one. I have a PDS meter, but I don't use it often. Mm -hmm. I use it more of a proxy. Like yeah. the values on it i don't really pay attention to per se just the level like the trends of the values i suppose because like sure. I'm, always, I'm at the end of my grows i'm pulling fucking 2500 ppm 3000 ppm right so i'm sure my ec would be all the fuck over the place so it doesn't really mean anything if you're doing a water only thing in your soil test your ph like get your water quality when you first start watering and then adjust it as you need it. But let's assume we have to assume that your soil is properly made like that. I've, mm. I've taken years to, to ensure mine is pH balanced. So then it doesn't, the pH doesn't swing um, when I do add properly pH water. If I add that water that comes straight out of my tap, which is 8.1, I'm going to have issues after like a couple of weeks. Right. Cause that's just, it can't compensate that much. It's not an open environment per se, right? There's microbes in there, but they're not mm. that powerful. So um, yeah, pH it at first, check your TDS. If you have a, like fucking 3000 parts per million, probably get an RO thing. If it's a lot of sodium, probably get some RO, you know, those kinds of things. But um, it's a little bit more like in depth than just uh, do I need an EC meter, I guess. It depends what... Mm. Yeah, so if, if your water quality is good and your soil is good, no. But if not, then maybe because you need to monitor it. But that's a whole, you know, you should be monitoring it for other reasons too, probably, if it's that shitty, which most municipal water isn't. So maybe this is all a moot point. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think it was necessary. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're right. I was just going to say that if it was rainwater, yeah, you'd be sweet. You wouldn't have to worry. Yeah. But if, if you're using town water, yeah. I'd check it at least every every couple of weeks, you know, just to make sure that it's still in the same range. Because I know here there's times when they'll clean the um, they'll clean all the pipes and everything, all the main pipes, and they'll flush salt and everything through it. You know, if you're not if you don't know what's coming through, all of a sudden you're going to get a spike because it's you know it's going to happen. Um, and if you're not keeping an eye on it, you could end up in a bit of trouble. So, I mean, for the sake of like you may, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll be sweet. But on that off chance, it's always good to have that that there to see if it is that that's causing the issues rather than, you know, just guessing at it, I suppose. Nice. Mm -hmm. Sweet then. So we have another question here from Mr. Bud. Uh, yes, from Mr. Bud next. Uh, I've got one that I don't think anyone else has the time to test, but I've grown an auto from 1212 all the way through. And as I had a photo period in flower at the same time, 
and I got a solid four ounce from the auto, which at the time was my average for all my plants pretty much all the time. So my question is, will autos produce the same yield as it would on, say, an 18.6 as a 12.12? I mean, the answer seems obvious, but it only takes a couple of years. But it's only a couple of years ago that people became skeptical about flushing before it was taken as gospel. And very true, you know, I mean, the plant needs food to grow and it uses light to turn starches, uh, to turn uh, CO2 and water. Yes, yeah, there we go. It takes the light and takes the CO2 and water to make starches and sugar to produce food for the plant. And that's what it does. And then it, it grows according to that. So I mean, it goes to say, I mean, it says to me that the less light it gets to a certain extent, the, the less food it's going to be able to produce for itself. So I wouldn't know if, if 18.6 was better than 12.12, but like you, I would just assume that it was better. Because, you know, it's a good quarter of the light. My opinion on that is I, it's, impossible to de- it's impossible to determine because in order to test it, you need to have identical genetics to be run under one light regime and under the other light regime. And due to the nature of autos, you can't clone them. So, mm-hmm. um, but... I agree with Mackie that like theoretically the more light the the bigger the plant probably what happened here is you like statistics are are a bitch I'm no statistician but outliers right you know not not every plant in a in a set is going to fit the the average description this one might have just been a, a crazy good producer right mm-hmm. and and hit your average whereas if you grew two other plants out of the same set, set of seeds, just due to the nature of genetic variability, those other two might just be dog shit, right? So um, I don't think there's any way to determine that, but um, probably the difference between 18.6 and 12.12 is not that much, but probably there is a difference, in my opinion. I think 18.6 is the best, and the furthest I'd ever push it is to 20 hours light and four hours darkness. I do think that the plants need that little bit of darkness just to have a rest, you know, recuperate themselves and, and mm-hmm. just do what they do. Try and keep it as natural as possible. It would grow in nature. The, so only, time I've, exactly. the only time I've done anything with that is um, in micro grows. I have done uh, Violet Kush quite a few times as a micro grow. And I've done them in auto tents at, at 18.6 and I've done the same strain in a, in a regular 12.12 tent. And I noticed in a micro grow, I went from about an ounce per plant down to about 12 ounces, but I don't know if that was me or the plant. Right, an ounce down to 12 grams. Yeah, yeah, that's right, what I meant, right. 12 ounces. An ounce down to 12 grams. So, you know. It's a big loss, basically, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was two thirds. It was significant. The plant was very healthy and I enjoyed the grow. Didn't expect it to be as big either. And it wasn't, but I don't know if it was me. I don't know if it was the grow, but I did find in that case, and that's the only time I could ever compare them. That, that that's that's what happened but mm. again like tg said was that that specific seed was that that pheno that maybe was just a little bit smaller i'll never know oh yeah, so I, I sure. yeah you can't ever say for sure what are you saying Bubba Hawk? that's what i was going to say i don't think there's a, a real a real way to determine it without you know because you, you've got that variation no matter what you do with autos it's mm-hmm. you know so i mean from for me I've run 20, I've run 20 and 24, I've run 18, I've run 12. And I usually, when I'm running 12, it's because I'm using them as a, a filler um, mm-hmm. in a photo run. And, and admittedly in, in the 12, 12s, then they don't get as big, 
that doesn't mean that that's you know it's the it's simply just the light because i've had ones in 12 12 yield fine um and not be an issue um but i do find that 18 to 6 tends to be the happy medium there they get just enough dark they get plenty of light and they tend to respond better 20 and 4 can get a little bit over the top and mm. i've found I've, I've had plants that are, are visibly going into rest mode while the light's still on and i mean i'm not a fan of doing that i'd, I'd prefer not to have them doing that because you know, man gonna, that's like fucking yeah. torture or something <laughs> yeah poor bastards are trying to sleep and i'm smashing it with an extra four hours of life yeah, exactly. like, fuck off <laughs> <laughs> yes man um, makes sense I th- yeah. 1860 is perfect uh, keep it simple 186 for autos and vegetating plants and 1212 for flowering plants with their photo period nice and easy man just keep it simple that's the way nature intended when it's under electric lights <laughs> would be an interesting study though like yeah, if, sure. if someone is in a position to grow because like the more data we have the more robust you can say uh, a hypothesis is right so if you, if you grew ten thousand plants and mm-hmm. under 12 12 and ten thousand under 18 6 and the 18 sixes were clearly more yielding like yeah and, and over ten thousand plants that's a good number yeah. you know you'd be able to exactly that it's not just a random thing then you, you can you eliminate the individual variability um, uh, variable, I guess, because that's huge. But as you yeah, as you grow your numbers, that becomes less of a, an, a margin of error. So, but you know that's a that's a task and a half. <laughs> oh, so we have one more question, which we'll get through before we wrap this up. We have from Shonuf. He said, "I have uh, I have had great success using biodegradable nursery bags to plant in." then transplant the bag directly into the next part. Am I getting the same root benefits of upper potting because the roots are having to fight their way through the original fabric nursery bag? Or is this short change in the process? So, man, I've dealt with things like this before, and it wasn't fabric ones. They're, you know, the cocoa peat pots, I think they are, peat pots. And I found, no, they weren't jiffy. They was made out of... um, They're kind of almost cardboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we call them... Yeah, we call them jiffy pots here. Okay. They're, yeah, they're just yeah, like yeah. a little cocoa disc. It goes mm-hmm. into a cardboard thing. Yeah, yeah, and then, then you just you know water it as if it's a pot and plant it mm. into the if it needs to be planted because it survived. Then you plant it into a bigger pot. And I, I've used them and they fucked with the pH so bad, man. And the plant as the plant was growing through the pots, it it was just very fucking unhappy. So I think the best thing to do is just do it the old school way. I mean, I, I grow in fabric pots, but in the early stages, you know, because I transplant into the big pot, I'll use plastic pots because that's just so much easier to take shit out of and put it into mm-hmm. the fabric. Yeah. So just do that if you can. I, I wouldn't fuck around with just keep it simple, man. And that's the advice that we always mm-hmm. give on this podcast. Keep it simple. You know, you don't well, be something the something I learned a long time ago about transplanting that kind of goes against na- uh, a new grower's nature. And as when you take a, a plant out of a pot and you see how you get a nice tight root mass around the edges there, a lot of people just want to take that and carefully slide it down into the pot, be a tiny, tiny bit mean and take your fingers and just, just twist a little bit of those outer roots out. You're trying to break them loose a little bit and kind of unravel them and then plant it. Cause that's going to turn your root ball into a, a basically you just did a little bit of root pruning and it's going to start growth again mm. don't break that root ball just tickle the roots and kind of spread them a little bit before you put it in a new pot what are you saying there tg 
Sorry, I was just coughing on this delicious hash again. My bad. Oh. I oh tried to gosh. mute, but yeah. <laughs> this is watermelon. It's so good, you know. So do you anyway. use any any pots like that? When you you like bury the pot into the soil as as the roots go through, do you think that the roots ah. have a better time or not? I I don't know. Probably it's fine. Like I probably if you plant it outside it in like a very microbial diverse soil where it can yeah, degrade point. that shit right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. And keep it moist, but in a in a pot, there's you know, just kind of sits there. So probably I I wouldn't use those. But yeah. I'm thinking if you're planting that in a soil container, especially for growing cannabis, you're trying to let that soil cycle from wet to dry. And every time that that pot part dries up again, the glue in that pot's going to set back up, it would seem like. So mm-hmm. outdoors, if point. you're putting it in soil, that soil is usually staying at a constant moisture level, which will help it break down faster. So I wouldn't use it on an indoor grow. If you do, I would cut the bottom of the pot out before I put it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah, nice. But then keep an eye out for mold. That's the only other thing that I find with those is that being paper, one, they don't break down quick enough, especially if it's an auto. They, there's no way they're breaking down in 12 weeks. Um, but the other side of that is if you're running, say for argument's sake, it's cocoa where it's always wet, that fabric is that, not so much the fabric, but the, the cardboard ones, perfect for mold. And they, they tend to just mold. You get, you get like this little ring of mold around the base of the plant mm. and then the next minute rot all through it. Yeah, That's what I've found anyway, sure. so I don't use them. <laughs> so just use plastic pots, man. That's the best way. The best way. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I think that's all the questions. I think we have answered them all for this week. Thank you, everybody, for sending questions in. If you have questions that you'd like us to cover on next week's show, you can email them to homegrown at gmail.com or you can visit purchasegrowroom.com and drop a post in the listener mail thread section and we'll have some questions from there too so yes thank you everybody so there we go that is topping uh, and other stuff you know with the listener with the listener mail at the end there, the questions. If you have any questions that you want us to cover on next week's show or a show up in the future, you can send an email to me at highonhomegrown at gmail.com and just ask your question there and we'll cover it on next week's show. Alternatively, you can contact us on any of the social networks, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just search for High on Homegrown and you'll find our page and you'll be able to message us there. Uh, and you can also, as always, visit us on percysgrowroom.com and send any one of the panel members a message over there too. Thank you, as always, for listening and downloading the show. I hope you can share the show with your friends because that helps the show grow and we always massively appreciate that. So anyway, it's Friday. It's the end of the week. Stay high, stay safe, enjoy your weekend, and we'll catch you on Sunday for the live show on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash homegrown. Head over there, subscribe, share, like videos, all that kind of thing. But anyway, catch you next week. Have a good weekend, everybody. Goodbye.